Before we get into the message, we have a very special guest um, with us this morning. Paul Kenny is here from the Gideon's uh, Bible Distribution. And uh, he's going to share for a couple minutes just about what the Gideon's is doing uh, locally and around the world. So here's Mr. Kenny. Thank you, Pastor. It's a blessing to be here. It's last time I was here, the church actually had a different name. But uh, I really like this new name because it has a lot to do even with what the Gideons do. But let me tell you a little bit about a gal. Her name is Terry Henley. And she's a single working mom up in Billings, Montana. But her life was spiraling out of control. And so uh, one afternoon, she finds herself in a closet. And in that closet, she also had a revolver there, and she was going to take her life. But she cried out to God. She goes, God, I need an answer to prayer now. I need an answer to prayer. And I'm sure most of us pray. We pray for somebody, or we pray for things in our life. Well, how does God answer all these prayers? Well, let's see how God answered Terry's prayer, because that seems like a pretty urgent prayer with that revolver right there. Well, somebody in some church donated $1.25 for one of these little Bibles here because uh, the Gideons get their donations from churches and our own personal tithing, too. And we buy these Bibles, and then we distribute them all over the world. Well, that day at Terry Henley's child's junior high school, there was some Gideons there, and they passed out these Bibles to these kids. Well, guess what happened? The front door swung open, and Terry's son goes, Mom, Mom, look what I got. Look what I got today. And so Mom composed herself came out, saw what they got, and their lives began to change. They began to read that Bible. So that's how God answered her prayer. Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, God wants to glorify himself, and that's how he did it in Terry's life. But like I said, he moved somebody's heart to donate $1.25. Maybe it was $125 for a whole box of 100 we stand on the sidewalks right here. I've stood here many times at uh, the buses right here, and other Gideons have stood on the corners here and passed out Bibles once a year to the school here. Many times we don't know what those Bibles would do, but we know God's Word is alive and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I know what it did in my life, and I know what it did in your lives. That's why you're here today, listening to God's Word. Well, there again, like I said, somebody donated that. We also, as you guys probably know, most of the adults have gone to the hotels many times and seen these Bibles at the hotels. We love to go there twice a year to the hotels up and down the coast. Our little Gideon camp right here handles the central coast here. And uh, we hear many stories. One story of a proprietor up in Cambria said uh, a gal came down and wanted to take that Bible home with her. And he goes, why? He, and she goes, she said, I'm from China. I've never seen a Bible before in my life. So God's getting his word throughout the world. We also heard many times 20, 30 years ago when the Chinese businessmen were on trips all over the world making their deals economically and things, they would get the Bibles in the hotels. They would take them back to China. Now the Gideons are actually in China, praise God. So we're able to uh, start to get in that, in that great uh, country there. And lives are being changed. These Bibles are $5 a piece. They say the average life is about eight years there. There was a gal named Susan. She was a high school girl, like maybe some of you high school kids here. But she never went to church. The whole family was about atheists. So they went to museums on the weekends and did other things like that. They didn't know how much fun it is to be at church. Well, 
they were at a hotel one night, and her mom wanted to go out for dinner, and, uh, and Susan goes, no, Mom, I don't really feel like going out for dinner. So she stayed back. But anyway, she opened the little drawer there where the Bible is there. And speaking of that, Motel 6, like down here on 4th Street, pray for that place because there's got to be revival going on there. Every six months, we replace about 60 Bibles at that hotel there. And that's true of the one in Morro Bay and the one up the coast too. So I don't know. We go to some of the other hotels, there's one or two missing. But Motel 6, there's something going on. They leave the light on for you there, that's for sure. Well, anyway, I don't know if Susan was at Motel 6 or where she was, but she started to get that Bible out, and God started to capture her heart right there. Well, she knew her mom was coming home. She goes, I want to take that Bible. So she put it in her suitcase, took it home, and, and she would read it at night time sometimes, and she'd always hide it at the very top of the bookshelf at her house there. Well, it took her about four years to read it, which is about as long as it took me to read it the first time, too. And... She was going off to college, but she knew all the stories now, and she prayed, God, God, I need a miracle like some of those stories in the Bible. Well, she didn't seem to be experiencing anything, but she went off to school, and there her roommate was a Christian, so that roommate was the one that led her to the Lord. Well, you know what happens with that. Your life's turned upside down. Your life changes. She goes home. Remember, they're all atheists, mom, dad. So she started sharing her faith with uh, the family, and a lot of the family got saved except for her mom. And her mom never got saved. She was a great gal, helped out in the community around there. Well, now, 20 years later, she becomes sick and was going to die with cancer. And so Susan was over there one day at her mom's visit, her mom, and her mom goes, Susan, I know you don't think I've been the best mom because I don't believe like you believe. And uh, Susan goes, Mom, you've been a good person, very good person. And her mom goes, well, can you start sharing with me now, maybe about your Jesus? And Susan goes, oh, I don't have my Bible with me. And then her mom goes, well, you know, on this bookcase up here, back there in the back is this Bible, that same Bible that she'd gotten 20 years earlier. She brings down. Well, so it lasted a lot longer than our hotel Bible, eight years. But we know that God's Word's alive. And we also know it comes with the author. So being Gideons, we love passing out those Bibles. And I'm just a businessman in town and, uh, and with our wives... <laughs> And with other businessmen and retired people, professionals, uh, we just go and distribute these Bibles as we get time. So if any of you have a heart for the lost that may want to join a great ministry, because it does equip, just like the name of your church here, it really has equipped me a lot because I get out, one, I'd never be on this stage sharing with you about the goodness of God that people have gotten these Bibles. And uh, two, I'm out there in the public, you know, once or twice a month, passing out these Bibles, and I'm able to share a Bible many times with, with a word of witness. So it's a great ministry. And like I said, all the donations go to the printing and the distribution of the Bibles, and God has really blessed this ministry over 100 years. Right now, we're in 192 countries all over the world, and we operate just like we do in the United States. All they do is pass out Bibles to the military, to the schools, hospitals, doctor's offices, um, that's kind of where we distribute these Bibles. And we distribute about a million and a half a week. So they're kind of busy, those Gideons. So they'd love to have your uh, donation uh, by faith. Just, uh, you know, you can do uh, donate $1.25. You can go online and do that. I'll be here at the lobby if you want to donate uh, to me. I'll make sure it gets there too. Uh, let me tell you about another kid. Uh, his name was called Alondro Baldwin. 
and he grew up in Bogota, Colombia, and like any kid, the parents raised him really good, but for some reason, as we all know, that there's sin in our hearts, he decided to choose that path a little bit. So his mom, he got involved with gangs, and so his mom says, Alondra, you got to get out of the house. So now he's hanging out with the gangs and doing that. Well, the Gideons were in the big plaza there in Bogota, and they were making a distribution. So he was going by, so he grabbed one. He didn't really want it, but he grabbed it. And he found out that uh, the paper in there is really good for rolling his marijuana cigarettes. So uh, he didn't read much until it came to Revelations chapter 5. And it says, uh, who's worthy to open the scroll? And it says, the lamb from the tribe of Judah. So he read that, and he goes, wow. And he goes, i, I got to ask somebody about that. So he asks his good buddy in the gang, and the guy goes, I don't know what that means either. But he says, I know somebody that does. So they went down to a local pastor, just like your pastor here, and that pastor was able to lead both those boys uh, to Jesus Christ. So right now they're in full-time ministry down there. So maybe they're with the Equippers Church. I don't know, but I did hear that they're in the full-time ministry. So on behalf of the Gideons, I just want to say thank you and keep praying for us that doors are open and that we can continue to uh, distribute God's word. Thank you. Hello. Okay. Uh, my name is Josiah Webster. I'm part of the team here. Um, and if you will have been here for a, any length of time, you will know I am not Pastor Pat or Pastor John. Um, but before I get into why I'm not Pastor Pat or Pastor John, if you are a youth, uh, you are dismissed to go out. Um, and you will be with Michaela and Dan Hamlin today, which it's awesome. Um, both of them are incredible people. So go out that way, go to the green room. Sweet. Okay. Today is, if I can get it to work. Dun, dun, dun. Today is Pentecost. We'll get it up in a second. Um, today is Pentecost, and uh, today is also a very special day in the life of our church. Uh, as many of you know, um, John Lene adopted. Um, or fostered a baby, uh, Paisley, and she has been in need of a liver transplant for pretty much since she was born, uh, and it's been increasingly more evident that that was necessary, and they got the call at 6.20 this morning, um, so they are, yes, yeah, um, so they are on their way to Stanford for her to get her liver transplant. Um, and so Pastor Pat called me at 8.15, and he said, is it possible for me to go? Or no, he said, hey, can you take service? And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, would you mind speaking? And I said, I would rather you be a grandfather and me stumble around for a little while than you come and do that. So if it's a little disjointed this morning, I apologize. But, you know, here at Equippers, you know, we really believe that family comes first. Um, you know, we love all of you, but we can only have a family here if we have a family here. Um, and, you know, I just think back when um, uh, some of you that have been here for a while, uh, our youngest son, who's four and a half now, he was born three months early. 
And uh, my wife, who was up here leading worship this morning, she was on bed rest for almost 10 weeks. And the church was incredibly gracious, allowed us to do whatever we needed to do for our family. And so, you know, this isn't just something we're doing because, you know, John is, you know, senior pastor, lead pastor. This is part of the DNA of our church is that we believe that family comes first and that strong churches are birthed out of strong families. And so whatever we can do for them, we're going to do. Um, and I just thought, I talked to John a little bit this morning. He just wanted you all to know how thankful and grateful he is for what you, the love and the support and the, the calls and the text and the, you know, just giving selflessly that you guys have done for them. And he wants you to know that he, even though they are driving to Stanford as we speak, he is here in spirit. They love you guys. And um, they're not going anywhere, um, but they also need to go for a couple months. Um, and they'll be back and forth. Yeah, let's give it up. Um, they'll be back and forth uh, as they are able to, but um, if I humbly say so myself, we have an amazing staff that will rally around and amazing leaders that are not on staff that the church isn't going anywhere. We're not shutting down. We're not taking a three-month break. We believe that we're going to go from glory to glory. And um, as we're going to talk about a little bit later um, with Pentecost, it's in the very moments of um, chaos and void and confusion where the spirit hovers over the waters to birth something new. And so we believe that this is just a season where the spirit is going to hover in a new way and birth a new thing in equippers as a church and in each of you individually. Amen? So before we get going, um, a couple things. We are going to pray for baby Paisley uh, and for John and Lene. Um, she will have the surgery today sometime in the afternoon. As soon as they get up there, they will start prepping her for surgery and she'll get in. Um, on paper, it's not a perfect match, but we're believing that by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a perfect match. There's going to be no complications. Um, amen? Yeah. And just uh, peace for Lene and for John and um, baby Lily. Uh, and it's, uh, is Beth Nolan here? Yes, Beth. Okay. Uh, this whole morning, all I've been hearing is only God. Because whenever something happens, Beth will always say, only God can do that. Only God. And so today, one is Pentecost. Two, today was actually Lily's due date. So they were going to have a baby this Sunday, but they actually had a baby on Mother's Day. Um, Paisley means church, and Pentecost is the birth, when we celebrate the birth of the church. And so we believe that as Paisley is having a new birth today on Pentecost, that, and it's Lily's due date, that just God is, it's only God can do all of this. Um, so let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for Paisley. Lord, we thank you for her little life. Lord, that every life is precious to you. And Lord, we pray that you would guide the doctors as they go in and do surgery. Lord, that there would be a perfect match. Lord, as they begin to, to open Paisley up and do what they need to do inside of her, Lord, that they would, um, everything would just go smoothly. And we just pray for um, uh, every hand that touches Paisley, every um, doctor that has to do anything, every nurse that's in the room, Lord, that they would just be overwhelmed by your love through Paisley, Lord, that she is just has such a, an amazing spirit inside of her. She's always smiling, always happy, always just full of life. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that this day, Lord, Pentecost Sunday, Lily's due date, Lord, is the first day of the new birth in 
Paisley's life. We just pray for peace for John and Lene and Denise and uh, Pat and Terry, Lord, and the whole family, Lord, that as they're traveling up there, Lord, that there would just be such a grace on them, such a peace, Lord, that the peace that passes understanding, Lord, would guard their hearts and their minds in full faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. I don't, Rihanna, are you there? Okay. I don't have a connection, so we're just going to go with it. Okay. Um, Sorry, i got to shift my focus now. A uh, couple announcements, be, or one more announcement before we get going. It was in the email or the announcement video, but uh, the Family Beach Day is coming up. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, June 16th, out at the end of Grand. Um, we're going to be out there from noon to 9 o'clock at night. We will have... Um, a hot dog dinner provided. So if you are a family and you would like to come, um, Kristen will be out in the lobby. My sister-in-law, Kristen, she's somewhere. Um, and she'll be out in the lobby with a sign-up sheet. We just need to get a head count so we know how much to get. Um, it's going to be an amazing time. And then if you are a family uh, and you were here last summer, we had a family's tent outside uh, that has some snacks just like we have in here. But some of the families, it's easier, when it, especially when it's a nice day. Your kids just want to run around. Um, so after you pick up your kids, you're more than welcome to go to the family tent outside. Even if you're not a family, you just want to hang out outside. There's snacks out there. It's a cool place to hang out, let your kids run in the little quad area. Um, so that's starting again this Sunday. Great? Okay. Lauren, give us wisdom. Help me speak. Amen. Um, so I, I do get to speak. I, I probably say this every time I'm up, but um, today is one of my favorite days on the church calendar. It is the day of Pentecost. Um, you know, we have Easter, you know, we have all the, the, the big church holidays, and sometimes Pentecost gets a little overlooked, but really this is the day when the Spirit is poured out, and the church goes from just being this 120 people huddled together, wondering what's going to happen to them after Jesus has died. They, they invested three and a half years of their life into this person that they thought was going to be, you know, the Messiah of the world, was going to take over the Roman government, free Israel, become the king that they were looking for, and he dies, and then he raises from the dead, and then he talks to them for 40 days, and then he says, hey, just wait, and then something amazing is going to happen, and so they're there waiting and waiting, and then on the day of Pentecost, the spirit comes, and the light bulb comes on, and they realize, oh, everything that he had talked about is fulfilled, and now we get to go out and do that. Um, so we, before we get started um, with the message, we're going to watch a short clip. Uh, it's about five minutes long from the royal wedding yesterday. Um, now, I will admit, I wanted nothing to do with the royal wedding. Um, I, I, no, I, confession, I love weddings. I think weddings are amazing, um, but I'm an American. We fought a war, so I don't have to worry about all these royals and what they're doing and who they're marrying. Um, sorry, um, just what I think, um, and then the, 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 there's a, I, you know, I have a little bit of that, uh, I have just enough little streak in me that if everybody's doing something, I'm like, I don't want to do that, so I was like, oh, everybody's talking about the royal way, and I'm like, forget it, I'm out, um, but then I just kept hearing about this, the message that, um, the American, sorry, it's the American guy, the American bishop spoke, and so I, I got a chance to watch, and it's amazing. Uh, if you get a chance to watch the whole thing, 
Uh, I highly recommend you do that. But we're going to watch about five minutes of it and then jump off of what he speaks on to talk about Pentecost. So if we can play that video. Joyce with. It's more than that. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth on one occasion, one occasion was, asked was asked by a lawyer to sum up the essence of the teachings of Moses. And he went back and reached back into the Hebrew scriptures to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew's version, he added, he said, on these two, love of God and love of neighbor, hang all the law, all the prophets, everything that Moses wrote, everything in the Holy Prophets, everything in the Scriptures, everything that God has been trying to tell the world, love God, love your neighbors. And why you at it, love yourself. No. Someone, Someone once said, said that Jesus, Jesus began, began the most, the most revolutionary, revolutionary movement, movement in all of all human of history. history. A movement, movement grounded, grounded in the unconditional, unconditional love, love of God, God for the world. And a and movement, movement mandating people, people to live, live that love. love. And in and so, so doing, doing, to change not only their lives, but the very, the very life, life of the world, world itself. itself. I'm talking about some power, power. Real power. Power, power to change the world. If you don't, if you don't believe, believe me, me well, well, there were some there were old slaves, slaves in America's, America's antebellum, antebellum South, South who explained the dynamic power of love and why it has the power to transform. They explained it this way. They sang a spiritual, even in the midst of their captivity. It's, it's one that says there is a bomb in Gilead, a healing bomb, something that can make things right. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And one of the stanzas actually explains why. They said, if you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the bomb in Gilead. This way of love, it is the way of life. They, they got it. He died, he died to save us all. He, he didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. And in so doing, become redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives. And it can change this world. If you don't believe me, just, just stop and think for a Think, think, and imagine. Well, well. Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine 
our homes and families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is, is the way. When, when love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty of room. Plenty of room for all of God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well, like we are actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all. And we are brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. And that is the essence of Pentecost. Pentecost, the Spirit comes to break down every dividing wall. It talks about in Galatians that in Jesus there's now no longer slave or free. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer male or female. That everything that we think divides us is torn down because we are now all one in Jesus. And it talks about in Colossians that the Spirit is what gives us this, we are, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one baptism, one faith, one, and it just keeps going, one, 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 because it's not about us and them, it's only about us. And, you know, I think, you know, it's a, a beautiful picture watching a British royal marry a mixed-race American the day before Pentecost, because that wedding is a picture of what the church is supposed to look like that nothing divides us anymore. There's no hierarchy. There's nothing that separates us one from another. It's only us. There is no them. And that's what Pentecost is all about. And then why does the Spirit come? Why does the Holy Spirit get poured out? And if we go to uh, Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. The Holy Spirit comes to give us power to go, not to stay. 
The Holy Spirit gives us power to go everywhere and share the gospel with everyone. To tear down everything that we think, oh, I can't go to those people because of whatever. Oh, I can't do this because of whatever. The fire of the Holy Spirit comes to light, excuse my French, to light a fire under our butts, to push us out, to go and do what we're supposed to do, to go actually live like Jesus, to go imagine a world where love is the way. You know, we spent, um, the, we spent 10 days in April uh, praying at the healing rooms every day, um, praying for revival. And in the midst of that, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for, and we had Lou Engle here, and he was sharing, and I'm all for praying for revival. But in the midst of that time, I was thinking, what am I actually praying for? What does revival look like? You know, it, it can kind of be this nebulous word where I'm just praying for something that I don't really know what it is. And I, to me, I think he articulated it. If you don't believe me, just stop and think and imagine. Think and imagine. Well, think and imagine a world where love is the way. That's revival. Imagine our homes and families when love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine businesses and commerce when love is the way. Imagine this tired old world when love is the way. When love is the way, unselfishness, sacrificial, uh, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all God's children because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well, like we are actually family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all, and we are brothers and sisters, children of God. Love is the way. And so when I begin to pray for revival, I would think, what does revival look like? Okay, does revival look like no child is hungry? Then what can I do now to be an answer to my prayer for revival? Because... And uh, this, is, I've, this is not pointed at anybody. <laughs> this is only merely pointed at myself and observations that I made in my own heart uh, that I thought might be helpful. But if I spend half the time doing the things that I think are going to be the fruit of revival rather than just sitting around praying for revival, I would probably actually see the revival that I'm praying for. If I believe that reconciliation is a fruit of revival, who do I need to reconcile with now? So that way I can actually see revival come. If I believe that economic justice is a fruit of revival, then what can I do now to work for economic justice so I can actually see the revival that I've been praying for? If I believe that racial reconciliation is a fruit of revival, then what can I do now to begin to reconcile with those around me so I can actually see the revival that I'm praying for? Rather than just waiting for the Spirit to come, and obviously we're talking about Pentecost, we're we believe the Spirit is coming, but when the Spirit comes, what does that look like, and what can I do now to begin to prepare the way, to begin to uh, pave a path for the Spirit to come and actually do what I'm praying for Him to do, rather than just sitting around waiting for this thing to come. Amen?
And so it seems to me that every major outpour of the Spirit in Acts is given to move the ministry of the apostles further outside of their comfortable Jerusalem existence. Uh, so we're just going to run through some scriptures real quick, uh, and then we'll um, break them down individually. So Acts 4.31. You have it? Uh, at that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. Okay, we can go to the next one. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk alongside the chariot. Okay, next one. As Peter was in, the, was in deep thought trying to interpret the vision, the Spirit said to him, go downstairs now, for the three men are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them because I have sent them. Next one. While they were worshiping as priests before the Lord in prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I have called Barnabas and Saul to do an important work for me. Now release them to go and fulfill it. Is that the last one? One more? Last one? Okay, great. Okay. So Acts 1.8, the first one we talked about, that's the promise. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm sending the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes, he's going to empower you to be witnesses everywhere and to everyone. And then Acts 4.31, it talks about that the, the Spirit came, the place where they were, were was shaken, you know, a kind of amazing event. But right after that is when the Spirit moves on their hearts, and certain people begin to sell everything they have to lay at the apostles' feet so that no one is in need. And then in a couple uh, chapters later, there's a dispute among um, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Jerusalem Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews were upset because they felt like their widows weren't being taken care of properly in the daily distribution of food. And so they said, we need to elect people that are full of the Holy Spirit and power in order to make sure that everybody is taken care of properly, not along racial lines. And so they, they, anoint, they set apart Stephen and I believe seven others to go and do that. So the Holy Spirit helps them choose people to break down walls between Greeks and Jews. And then in Acts um, 8.29, that's uh, Philip and the eunuch. So Philip it gets told by the Spirit to go walk along this road. And as he's walking along the road, he sees a eunuch in a chariot um, going down the road. And the Spirit says, go run alongside him and talk to him. And so Philip runs and sees him. And then in Acts 10, that's Peter being directed to Cornelius' house. And then in Acts 13, that's Paul and Barnabas separated out for missionary work. And the Spirit was given to empower the disciples to spread out from their comfortable position in Jerusalem into all the world. In Acts, the Spirit is constantly arresting people to move them towards the other, towards the Gentile, towards the foreigner. Unfortunately, I've equated the Spirit with goosebumps and shaking rather than tongues being translated to other languages and a heavenly fire being lit under my butt to drive me out of my comfort zone and toward the ends of the world. To view the world through the lens of the Spirit is to view a world without gender, race, economics, or social limitations. And uh, let's go to Acts 4, or sorry, Acts 8.29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk alongside the chariot. So Philip, he's one of the, the earliest disciples. He's already gone to Samaria. So he's already kind of gone a little bit outside of his comfort zone. And the Holy Spirit asked him to start walking along this road. And so as he's walking along the road, he sees uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. So 
the guy had two strikes already. He was Ethiopian, so he was outside of the Jewish nation. And two, he was a eunuch, uh, which meant he was ceremonially, he would never be able to actually go and worship in Jerusalem. But he had such a heart for God that he would travel at great expense to himself to go and get as close as he possibly could to the presence of God in Jerusalem. But the way that it was set up, there was, you know, the Holy of Holies, there was the, where only the priest could go once a year, then there was the holy place where the, only the priest could go, and then there was uh, the court where if you were a Jewish man, you could go, and then there was the court of the Gentiles where you could go if you were a Gentile, there was the court for women. So there was all these hierarchies that separated people from the presence. And how many of you know, when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil was torn, and now there was nothing separating people from entering in. But this Ethiopian eunuch didn't understand that yet. So he was going, hoping to get as close as he possibly could to God. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit calls Philip to run alongside of him and to ask him, what are you reading? And then Philip begins to talk about what he's actually reading, what it means, that Jesus fulfilled all of those things, that Jesus is now inviting him into full communion with his body, that he doesn't have to be separated because he's a eunuch. He doesn't have to be separated because he's Ethiopian. He doesn't have to be separated because he's not a Jew. There's nothing now that's separating him. And the, the, the eunuch says, what do I need to do? There's water right there. Can I just be baptized? Can I just do this right now? I don't want to wait anymore. I've been waiting my whole life. I've been spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to come and get as close as I can. I knew I could never actually connect. And Philip says, let's do it right now, and just baptizes him because there's nothing now separating him from full immersion into the body of Christ. So Philip is moved by the Spirit first into Samaria, fulfilling the third part of Jesus' command to go into all the world. He is then directed to run alongside a chariot and reveal the scriptures to someone who, according to the law of the day, had no business being included in the gospel. And so, there, you know, like we said, there's these circles of holiness that people thought it was almost like you know, planets circling the holy place. And in Jesus, everything that we thought was a tear to get to God has been torn down, and we have full access in. It talks about that Jesus is our anchor into the holy place, and by faith we access. We can boldly enter into the holy of holies, the place where once, only once a year, and only the high priest could go. We now have access any time because of what Jesus has done for us. And so now our job, our role, our vocation after Pentecost is to be those people that speak the better word, that say every part, every place in your life that you feel like you're less than, that you can't actually measure up, that you, we have all these reasons why we can't approach, why we can't do this, why we, we shame ourselves into not being able to connect with God. Our job as brothers and sisters in Jesus, it's just to take the megaphone out and say, you are accepted. You are loved. This is what the world looks like when love is the way. Okay, and then Acts 10, 19. So we've already seen in the book of Acts, the, the Spirit comes, they begin to, to speak in tongues on that first day. And it says um, in Acts 2 that there were, there were God-fearing Jews from all over the world that were in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Um, the day of Pentecost is one of only three days on, in the Jewish calendar where every 
Jew, male Jew, had to be in Jerusalem to celebrate if you were observant. So you have all these Jews from all over the world, and they're there. And that's when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And they begin to speak in new tongues. And as they speak, it says that each of them heard in their own language the marvelous mysteries of God. And so when the Spirit comes, the Spirit comes and reaches every single person where they're at in a language that they can understand. It is not the Tower of Babel where we develop one language to exalt one tower above everything else. Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to each person in their own language where each of them can understand where they're at. That it's not a hierarchy, it's not a separation. It's I, the Holy Spirit comes to teach each person where they're at so they hear in their own language the marvelous mysteries of God. And so after that, you know, they, they begin to speak in Jerusalem, and then they spread out into Judea. Um, as we saw, Philip was in Samaria, but they still haven't really figured out how to get beyond the Jewish world. They are still kind of huddled in Jerusalem um, and around that area. And so in Acts 10, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to Peter, and he has this vision. And in a vision, he, there's a, a net that is dropped down, and it ha it's full of all these animals that Peter is not allowed to eat, according to Jewish customs. And they, you know, it says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Three times he has this vision, and he keeps saying, no, like, I'm, I'm observant, I've followed the law to the best of my ability all my life, I would never eat those things. And the voice booms and says, what I have called clean, you can never call unclean. And then as soon as he hears that, there's a knock at the door, and there's these three men that are there that are Gentiles. And Peter hears, uh, go downstairs now, for three men are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them, because I have sent them. And so this is the first step where the Jewish gospel of the Messiah is now sent to the Gentile world, where it's getting outside of their cultural confines, out into those people that they thought there's never, ever going to be, that's not going to happen. And actually, I, I'll, I'll, re, I'll redo that. They actually believed, most Jews believed, especially in the first century, that there was going to come a day when God was going to gather all the nations to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was going to become the center of the world. That God was going to raise up a king and raise up a kingdom, and all the nations would flock to Jerusalem. And Jesus turned all of that on his head, on its head, and said, I am that king, and this is that kingdom, but this kingdom, the nations are not going to stream to Jerusalem. I am empowering you to go out into all the world with this gospel of the kingdom. So rather than saying, come and see, the gospel is go and tell. We don't, yes, we invite people to come to church. Yes, we invite people to do all that. But the heart is, I'm going to tell the wonderful deeds of God. I'm not inviting people to come and see. I'm saying, go and tell. Amen? And this is a tangent, but uh, one of the most powerful examples of that um, is the, the Proto-Evangelion. Uh, it's a, um, the, the first evangelist is a woman, which I think is amazing. That in that day, that women couldn't be witnesses in court, but God chose a woman to be the first person to preach the gospel. Amen? So any, I'm just going to say it. That, to me, breaks down any barrier for a woman being able to preach. If the first message of the gospel is a woman preaching, then there's, sorry, there's nothing that keeps women back from preaching. That's my, that's my own exegesis of that. But 
Mary runs to the tomb, sees an empty tomb, and is there worshiping. And an angel comes and says, go and tell Peter and the disciples what you've seen. And as she leaves to go and tell, she encounters Jesus. And that's when she has an encounter with Jesus, and then she's able to go and tell what she's seen. So often we get stuck in an experience worshiping, and we actually never go and tell what we've seen. And it's in the going and telling that we encounter the risen Christ. We can be happy with an experience that touches us, but until we're willing to go and tell, will we actually meet the risen Christ? Will we actually meet God on the way going to tell? Amen? So, yes, have an experience. Have, have every spiritual experience you can, but that spiritual experience is not for you. Yes, it's for you, but it's not just for you. It is actually to go and tell and see the risen Christ, see Peter, see the disciples come to have the same encounter that you did. Amen? Okay, we're just going to keep going. So Peter, so the, the angel says specifically, go tell Peter and the disciples what you've seen. The reason that he has to say Peter and the disciples is because Peter denied Jesus at the cross. Peter thought, I am no longer worthy to be called a disciple. And so the, the angel very specifically says, I want you to make sure that Peter knows that he's included. And part of this gospel message is to go to those that feel like they've blown it too bad, that they've done too much, that they knew too much. I knew I should have, and I did it anyway. I, I knew that this was wrong, but I did it anyway. I, there's no way I can go back. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my life has been like. You don't know what's happened to me. And they exclude themselves, and they say, I'm no longer worthy to be called one of the disciples. And the Holy Spirit says, go tell Peter and the disciples that Jesus is coming. Because there's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that anyone around you has done that has excluded them. Right? There's nothing that they have done. The worst thing that you can think of doing is denying Jesus in his hour of need. Like, there's nothing worse than that. And yet, Jesus makes sure that Peter's included. And then in John 20 or 21, they go, and Jesus makes a meal for his disciples. And he makes sure he tells Peter, we're good. Don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Go and be the one to share the gospel. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter's the one that stands up and speaks what's going on. Peter's the one that gives articulation to the mysteries of God. And then Peter's the first one to go to the Gentile world with the gospel that the Jewish Messiah is not only the Jewish Messiah, he's the king of the world, that he's the Lord of all. Amen? Okay. Sorry, that was a big tangent, but... So Peter goes down to Joppa. He's minding his own business. And while going through the routine of daily prayer and fellowship with the Spirit, boom, the Spirit breaks into his quiet devotion time with a vision that is so outside Peter's tradition that he fights with the Spirit twice before finally giving in and accepting that it is the Spirit that is speaking to him. That one encounter opens the door for Gentiles to be welcomed into this fledgling movement of Jesus' disciples. And then... In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are separated for missionary work. You know, Saul is a Jew of the highest order. 
he's quite literally knocked off his high horse and called to become an apostle to the Gentiles. The gospel circle is getting larger, going from Gentile seekers to Gentiles being included reluctantly and only because the Spirit was poured out on them to apostles being sent to the Gentile world. The path from exclusion to inclusion only comes about from great contemplation or great persecution. And I pray, my heart's cry and my heart's desire is that not just our church here, but our, the church in the world will understand that truth, that we can either gaze upon Christ in who there is no Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female, that we can gaze upon Christ and see that every wall is broken down. And it's not that persecution has to come to push us out of our comfortable existence, but that we see it with our eyes by the Spirit and we can begin to move into those realms. Amen? Um, we can have, um, Bree, if you're around, you can come up on keys. Um, and so, Pentecost is all about the Spirit coming to our lives to allow us to go further than we could go on our own. Further than we think, to people that we think, oh, why would I ever go to that person? Why would I ever do that? Why would I ever? And the Spirit is the one that comes and lights the fire inside of us to go where we wouldn't go on our own. But the Spirit's also the one that hovers over the void in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1-2, it said, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the chaos on the earth. And out of that chaos is what birthed the world. And there's places in our life where we feel like there's chaos and there's a void and there's just scary stuff. You think about those, those disciples on the day of Pentecost they followed Jesus for three and a half years. They gave up everything they had to follow what they thought was going to be this revolutionary king that would overthrow the Romans, set up God's government on earth, and that they were going to get to be his right-hand people. Even after he dies and raises from the dead, the first question they ask in the book of Acts is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking, hey, now, now's the time, right? You rose from the dead. Like, you have this, all this power. Like, let's go. Let's overthrow the Romans. Let's do this thing. And we get to be the ones that, because we were faithful, we didn't leave you. And now we get to be your vice president, your secretary of state, your blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, just wait. Just wait. And then he ascends into heaven with one word. The only word is wait. Wait for power. So they go back to Jerusalem. They go into this upper room, and they start waiting. One day. See, we know it's going to be 10 days. We know it's going to happen on Pentecost. They had no clue. 500 of them heard wait. 
day one, wait, day two, wait, day three, day four, day five, six, seven, waiting, waiting, waiting. It says 120 people were left in the upper room out of 500 that heard wait. What do you think was going on in their hearts, in their minds in that time? There was no certainty. There was no, I am full of faith because I know God's going God's to do whatever they thought he was going to do. There was probably a lot of fear. There was probably a lot of anxiety. There was probably a lot of wondering, did I just waste four years of my life? Did I alienate my family, my friends? Did I give up? on my comfortable living to follow this dude that left us after I thought he was going to be something that he wasn't. And they were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's in that waiting, it's in that unknown that the Spirit falls and breathes new life into us. So I want you to know if you're here today and you've heard a word and you've left all to follow and what you thought life was going to be like, life isn't like. And you feel like you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Pentecost is here and the Spirit is blowing. The Spirit is moving to ignite something inside of you, a fresh fire, a fresh belief, a fresh understanding of what you're called to do with your life, that your life is not your own, that those promises that he's given you, yes, it is going to bless you. You're going to see things that you've never, ever imagined, but that life is given so that you go further than you could on your own, that you would step out of your comfortable existence and you would begin to walk on water and you'd begin to those, go to those people that are your Judea. That's just a little bit outside of your comfort zone. That you would go to your Samaria. Those people that are like you, but they're not because you have all these reasons why they're not. And then you would go to the uttermost parts of the world. Those people that are not, aren't even on your radar to go to. And that's why the Spirit comes to gently, and sometimes not so gently, like a mother bird, push us out of the nest and say it's time to fly. So if that's you today, if you feel like you need a fresh touch of the Spirit to kind of nudge you out of the nest, if you would be so bold, we're not going to have anybody close our eyes. We're not going to have any of that right now. But if you're here today, this is specifically to people that are already following Jesus. You've given up everything to follow him. But you feel like you're those 120 in the upper room. You have a promise. You have the hope. But you need some fresh fire to light that inside of you. Will you just stand up? And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to come today. He's going to drop things in your spirit. There's going to be a fresh fire. There's going to be a fresh infilling. He's going to give you fresh tongues to begin to speak the wonderful mysteries of God that people can understand. 
that you're not going to feel like you're just babbling on, but you're going to be able to speak clearly and articulately the wonderful word of God. And when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, I'm just going to read this over you. Listen carefully. You need to clearly understand what's happening here, what's happening in you today. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it is only 9 o'clock or 11.45 in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what God prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I'm doing today. I am pouring out my spirit on everybody. And you sons and daughters, you're going to prophesy. You young men, you will, you're seeing visions. You old men, you're experiencing dreams from God. The Holy Spirit is calling all his servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I'm revealing startling signs and wonders in the sky above, mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillars of clouds will appear. For the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before the great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to just come and fall afresh on us today. That we would see visions and dreams. Lord, where we feel like we've given up everything. And we're sitting in an upper room and we're wondering, why? Why did I give my life to this? This is not worth it. This is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. That today your spirit would blow through today and you would ignite dreams. You would ignite visions. Lord, that you would begin to give us tongues of fire to speak the marvelous mysteries of God and that everybody that calls on your name will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we don't want to end any service here without giving people an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. As Peter said at the end of that, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you've heard this today, and there's something, as Martin Luther said, your heart is strangely warmed. That there's something inside of you, you've heard about this marvelous God that breaks down every wall, that doesn't separate people that are shamed from people that are holy. He doesn't separate anybody from anything. But he throws the doors open and he says, come, come. And my, one of my absolute favorite scriptures is the very last book of the Bible, very last chapter. And it talks about what it's going to look like at the end of all the ages when everything comes together. And he gives a picture of a new city coming down. And that city, it has gates, but they never shut. It has lights, but they never go out. Because at the end of the age, the heart of God is always welcoming. That the doors never shut. The lights never go out. And it says the spirit and the bride continually say, come. Come to Jesus. Come back to God. Be reconciled to God. It says that God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. That when we look at what happened on the cross, that God was standing with Jesus, 
saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter anything. The heart of God is to welcome you home, to welcome you into a family. Like we talked about earlier, we believe the heart of church is family. And all this is is an invitation to come and join the family. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if that's you here today and you feel like you want to come home to family, like you want to encounter Jesus in the way that he is, would you just raise your hand and we're going to pray with you and welcome you home into the family of God. Everyone here has made that commitment. We've given up our own life to step into the life of Jesus. Well, if you'll pray with pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Everything that I've done that's put up a wall between me and you, where I've tried to push you away, where I've tried to push other people away, where I've lived selfishly and for my own gain, I repent. I turn around from that life and I run towards you. And I know that you accept me with open arms. I want to come home. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, for the thousandth time, you're home. There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you any less or love you anymore. You're home. You're family. Amen?